At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning as we are, are, are con- continuing and concluding our series here as we've been walking over the past several months through Romans chapter 5 and through Romans chapter, uh, from Romans chapter 5 to Romans chapter 8. So how many of you had a good Thanksgiving? All right, good. All right, how many of you guys had pumpkin pie, pecan pie? All right, how many of you spent time with family and friends? All right, yes, a great time. You know, I'm so thankful for Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for the time that we get a chance to press pause in our lives and we get a chance to gather together as family and friends. And during that time, I I pray that you, like it was in my house, we gathered around and for even just for a few moments, we turned our gaze towards heaven as we spent time to reflect on and recall the goodness of God, especially as we live in a difficult world. I don't know if you have walked through like the best year of your life, or maybe this has been the worst year of your life, or maybe it's been somewhere in between where you, it's been a mixture of blessings and it's been a mixture of hardships. But it's good to be reminded as we walk through the difficulties of life, as we see decay, disease, and death all around us, it's good to be reminded that God has not left us here alone. But that God has given us Jesus. And that through our faith in the work of of Jesus, the Bible promises us that we are more than conquerors. That though we live in a world where it seems like danger is around every corner, where at any moment we could simply find everything that we've worked for completely destroyed in disaster, it's good to know that Christ is on our side for those that believe. And today, as we conclude our series, as we've been walking from Romans chapter 5 through Romans chapter 8, it's good to be reminded that all that God has done on our behalf, that is done on our behalf because it comes from a place of love. And so I thought it would be appropriate for us to quickly just review through chapter 5 through where we are right now in chapter 8, just to be reminded for a moment of all that God has done. Because sometimes in the midst of life, in the pace of life, we can forget the goodness of God. We can forget all of his benefits. We can get confused and forget all of his blessings that are found to us through Christ. And so back in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, this is what we learned says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What an amazing blessing. Let us not gloss over that or quickly move beyond that truth. 
That therefore we have been justified by faith. When we come to consider the person and the work of Jesus and we trust in him as our Lord and Savior, something miraculous takes place. In an instant, the Bible tells us that we instantly have peace with God. What a beautiful blessing. To know that the God of the universe who has a standard of holiness that none of us can attain on our own. And because we cannot attain that holiness on our own, we become enemies of God. We are in desperate need of salvation. And we see that in Christ and in Christ alone, we can be justified and we can have peace with God. We learned later on in in chapter 5 that though death came to us from Adam, because of Adam's sin, his sin was passed on down from generation to generation. And what that earned us was death and separation from God for eternity. But now because of Christ, Christ has come. He came and obeyed in every way that Adam disobeyed. And Jesus came to bring life with him. So it's as though Jesus has... uh, Reverse the curse. And then in chapter 6, what we saw is that we are, are dead in our sins and no longer are we uh, alive to sin, but we're dead to sin, but we're alive to Christ. That now, because of our faith in Christ, we are alive. We have life. We also learn that we're no longer a slave to sin. That sin no longer reigns in our bodies, but we now have the opportunity to give ourselves over as slaves to righteousness. We learned in chapter 7 that we are released from the law, that the law, though so many people try to find peace with God through following the law, it's not the law that has saved us, but it was Jesus who has saved us. And then in chapter 8, we learned about one of the greatest gifts that God has given us, and it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. That God's full power indwells us at the moment of salvation. And this spirit helps us in our suffering. This spirit helps us obey. This spirit helps us to yearn for eternity. Where we have the promises and the blessings of a future to come. We also learned last week that because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have the promise now that God is going to get us through to the end that we've started this race at the moment of salvation. We started a race and God will see us through through the power of his spirit. And so today I want us to continue as we're looking at all of these things that Christ has done for us. What a mighty and powerful work the God of the universe has been working on our behalf. And today, as we look at Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse 31, what we see is kind of a conclusion or a summing up of all of the beautifulness of this life that we have in Christ. Look with me in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Paul is writing, he says this, he says, what then shall we say to these things? What what is it that we should say to these things? It's, It's almost as though Paul is making a summative statement of everything that's actually happened from Romans chapter one all the way now to Romans chapter eight. He says, what what should our response to all that God has done? Though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God came after us through sending his son so that he could die in our place. What should we say to all of these things? What should our response to this be? 
especially when we think about our future promises and the promises of present help in life right now, not only do we have the promises our future is secure, but God is really with us here today. What shall we say to these things? We should say that we live a life that has the power to conquer all of the things of this world. What I want us to see today, the big idea for today, is that we conquer by the God who loves us. This is what I want us to see, is that that we conquer by the God who loves us. It's this God that lives inside of us that is working on our behalf to do amazing things. So as we consider life today in view of these promises, Paul sums all of this up with four simple questions, which all of these questions have the same answer. Question number one we're going to see is who can be against us? The answer is going to be no one. Second question, who can bring a charge against us? The answer is no one. Who can condemn us? The answer is no one. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is no one. Today, as we answer these questions, we're going to see three simple truths that will help encourage us and help us to live this conquering life that Christ has afforded for us and that God has given to us. Let's look, first of all, in uh, verse 31. We'll read verse 31 and verse 32 together. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So here's the first question that we see. Who can be against us? If God is for us, right? if if, if God of the universe, the one who, who created all things, if God of the universe is on our side, if he's in our corner, if he is for us, then it's impossible for us to lose. If God is on our side, then nothing and no one can come against us. It's, it's kind of like this. Imagine you're playing a third grade football team. Okay, third grade football team. And on your team, you've got Barry Sanders from the 1990s. You've got Tom Brady as quarterback. And you've got the Steelers defense from back of the Steel Curtain. That's your team playing third graders. You can't be beat, right? You are an unstoppable force. No third grade team in the world or in the universe will be able to beat you. It's pretty powerful, right? In a similar way, not in a similar way, in a greater way, the God of the universe is on our side, is on your side, who has all of the power and everything at at his fingertips to provide and to protect you. So nothing can beat a child of God. Nothing can come against a child of God because God cares for his children If God is for us, who can be against us? 
The answer is no one. No one can be against us. Well, how do we know this? How do we know that God is on our side? Well, we know this, that God is for us, because he did not spare his own son, but gave him for us. I want you to be reminded that God was not always for you if you are a child of God. Before you came to know God, you were an enemy of God. Your sin, your rebellion against the God of the universe, your rebellion against God's standards, your rebellion against the lordship of God in your life, made you an enemy of God. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 and 3 reminds us. So you were an, there was a time in your life where you were an enemy of God. You followed the ways of Satan, doing your own thing. But now, because God sent his own son that came from a place of his love, God's love for you did not leave you in this rebellious state. In fact, what God did is he sent his very own son to die in your place. He was willing to give up his son. Because we know that sin has to be punished. God cannot be a just good God if he allows sin to go unpunished. And so what did he do? He sent his son to die and to take the punishment that was due you and do me. So he gave him his son for us. And knowing that he has done that, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if he's done that work to save us, then God's going to do the work to secure us and to keep us. How do we know that God is for us? Because he sent his son. Do you find yourself sometimes questioning God's ability to save you? I mean, do you walk through the difficulties of life and you're like, God, is it po- can you possibly save me from this? Like maybe you, you're walking through a season of life where you're struggling with an addiction and the question that you have is, God, can you really save me? Or maybe you're walking through a season where your marriage is on the brink of being dissolved and you're asking yourself, God, can you save this mess? Or maybe you're wrestling with deep challenges at work. Or maybe you're walking through a season of fear Like, for some reason in life, fear has just gripped your heart, and you can barely walk each day because you're so afraid. You're afraid of the future. You're anxious about everything, and you're lacking peace, and you're asking yourself this question. You're saying, God, can you save me from this wretched place? Well, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And I think what Paul is doing in verse 32 is he's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. Okay, what, what he's basically saying is he's saying you, you've got to be reminded that of, of the great work and the great cost that came at your salvation. Right, let, me, let me put it in human standards in ways that we can understand. Imagine you and your family have saved up all the money to go spend a week at Disney World. Right, you've, you've put the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that goes into uh, spending like a day in Disney World. I don't know why it's so expensive, but you've done the work. 
right? You, you've paid for the travel, you've paid for the hotel, you've paid for the food, you've paid for entrance into the park. But as you drive up to those great Magic Kingdom gates, you get there and they're like, it's gonna cost you 15 bucks for parking. You've already done the greater. You're not gonna get to that point and say, ah, no, not doing it. I'm not paying that 15 bucks. You know, they, they must be out of their minds. You're not gonna leave and drive back to some other place and then drive back home. You're not gonna do that, right? You're gonna pay the lesser. You're gonna fork over that $15 so that you can get into the park because you know that it is worth it. In a similar way, God has already done the greater. You see, your greatest, the hardest, most difficult thing that God has done in your life is he's granted you faith. See, we, we've got to understand this, this gift of salvation comes to us through the work of Christ, but it is a mighty, mighty miracle to get someone that is a hater of God to be a lover of God. This is an amazing gift. This is a miraculous thing. This is the most powerful thing that God has to do in your life on your behalf is to save you. That's the greater. When you're walking through the lesser, like the struggles of life, the difficulties of this, God's like, I've already given you the grace that you need to be saved. Don't you think I have the grace that you need to help get you through this? You see, God is for us. God is not against us. God is for you. This is how we need to think about, about God's love for us. When we find ourselves doubting his love, when we find ourselves questioning his goodness, remember what he gave up for you. God gave up his own son for you. And that he did this because he loves you. Now we come to this, ask ourselves this question. He is with me, if he is on my side, if he is for me, then who can be against me? The answer is no one. The answer is nothing. That's the first question. The second question that I want us to look at is who will bring a charge against us? Look at me in verse 33 and verse 34. Paul writes, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What we see here now is the, this imagery transitions now to this heavenly courtroom where the question is asked, who can bring any charge against God's elect? So imagine right now, Christian, follower of Jesus, child of God, that you're sitting at the defense table. On one side, you've got the defense, and the other side, you've got the prosecution. And as, the, uh, as, as both the defense and the prosecution sit before the judge, what happens is the prosecution is bringing their, their case against you. 
And so all lined up in a, in a row right behind that desk are all the plaintiffs, everyone that you've ever hurt, everyone that you've ever done wrong to. And one by one, the prosecution brings its case before the courts against you. Every wrong that you've ever done, everybody that you've ever harmed, they come and they name their vendettas against you. Every thought that you've made or any other shudder of self-disgust in someone else is illuminated. Any time that you were critical of someone else, every opportunity that you had, the opportunity to do, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God, every opportunity you had that, every time you missed the mark, so time after time, moment after moment, that case comes against you. And it's not looking good. Right? Because your rap sheet is huge. It goes on forever and ever and ever. And there can only be one just judgment as you sit there. That's the defendant's. The only just sentence is that you're guilty. You're guilty. You've done the crime. You violated God's law. You've hurt other people that are made in the image of God. You have done wrong and you are guilty. But now that the prosecution has made its case, imagine for a moment that your lawyer pushes back from his seat and begins to stand up. And as he approaches the, the judge, all he does is open his nail-scarred hands. And his blood is dripping down his hands. He says, this one is innocent because I have taken his punishment. I don't know about you. I don't know if you ever spent time in a courtroom I don't know if you're you know, a person that liked to abide by the rules, but I'll never forget there was one time that I was in a courtroom, like a real courtroom, because I had sped and I had done wrong. I'll never forget the amount of guilt that I felt and the worthlessness. And I, I was like, man, I'm a horrible person. Please don't send me to jail. I, I can't go to jail. I just sped. You know, I wasn't going to jail, but I was young and I was worried and I was nervous. And then the, the voice of the judge came and he says, not guilty. Everything that I had done was wiped away. And in a, in a small sense, I felt like relief. I felt like I had life. I felt like I had breath in my lungs once again. And this heavenly courtroom we see is 19 million times better than that feeling in that courtroom on that day. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Oh yeah, you've done the crime. Yes, you've done everything. You've broken hearts. You've broken lives. You have left a mess of sin. But yet, who shall bring a charge against you? No one. 
Because it is God who justifies. It is God who looks not at your acts, but looks at Jesus' acts and counts you justified. And another way of saying the word justified is, is just as though I never sinned. You are justified in that moment, not through your works, not through your goodness, not through your right acts, but you are justified through Jesus Christ, who is the one who died. That's what it says. It is he who died. He died for you in your place because of your sin. And not only did he just die on the cross, it says here he actually did something even more greater than that. It was he who was raised. God saw Jesus' sacrifice as enough, and so he raised him from the dead. And by doing that, he put to death sin and sin's consequences in the lives of those who would believe in Jesus. It's now Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for us. So as we go from that moment of being justified and now as we continue to live until Jesus returns, you and I are still going to continue to sin, right? It still should grieve our hearts. It still should break our hearts. But what's happening is that God the, God the Father's on his throne and Jesus is at his side and he's saying every time you sin or every time I sin, he's saying it's forgiven. It's forgiven. It's forgiven. He's interceding continuously for you and I in our weakness. And he's saying, it is forgiven. So now, who can bring a charge against us? No one. So what do we do when we feel condemnation? What do we do when we feel the consequences of our sin? We worship. We worship. That's our response. When we sin, when we fail again and again and again and again, we know that God is up in heaven and Jesus is interceding for us saying it's forgiven, it's forgiven. But our response has to be a response of thankfulness. Oh God, what a wretched man that I am, but I'm thankful to you for saving me in my wretchedness. Thank you for saving me in my anger. Thank you for saving me in my pride. Thank you for saving me in my fear. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. My response is always in worship. Hands lifted high, saying, God, what a mess I've made, but thank you for being a redeeming God. The last question. Who shall separate us from Christ's love? The answer again is no one and nothing. Look at me in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch that? Like, who can separate you from the love of Christ? Just take a look at this verse just for a moment. Jesus 
has love for you. This love for you is both personal and it's powerful. Do you see that? Like Jesus loves you. You know we sing that song when we were kids. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? We know the song. We see it reiterated here in Scripture. Jesus personally loves you, and Jesus personally has power working in your life. And as you face the present and future, you can realize that nothing can separate us from his love. So when you walk through tribulation, when you walk through distress, when you walk through persecution, when you walk through famine or nakedness or danger or sword, we don't have to take the mindset of that of the Old Testament. Verse 36 is actually taken from Psalm 44, back when it felt when God's people were expressing their, their angst towards God because it felt like he'd left them because of their disobedience. And so that's what verse 36 is. The, the people of God felt for your sake we were being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. They, they're walking through life just realizing that they're waiting just to be picked off. And that's how they felt, and you may feel that way too. You may feel as though you're walking through life and you just can't get a break. You're walking through life and it feels like you're, there's opposition on every corner. And what Paul is telling us here, no. You're not as a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's God through Jesus that gives you the strength that's going to conquer all these things. So you don't have to worry about death or life. You don't have to worry about angels or rulers because they can't do anything against you, nor things present like what's going on right now or things to come. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about powers and heights and depth nor anything else in all creation. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't look at the situations that are going around in the world and history events and and things like that and and lead you to worry. Yeah, life's going to be hard. The Bible promises over and over and over and over and over again. Life's going to be hard. And as we move closer and closer to Christ's return, just like child pains and and childbirth get get more frequent and they get more painful, that's what's going to happen as we get closer to the end. Children of God, be aware. When suffering comes, don't don't look around and and say something strange is happening to you. When you lose your job because of your faith, when you lose your friends because of your faith, when your family turns their back on you because of your faith, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Because the most important thing is nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. I want to say this, and then I have three points of application. These promises are only given to those that believe. Those that don't believe you're on your own. Like literally, you're on your own. 
You have to face the stress and the trials and the difficulties of life all on your own. And if you die facing those challenges all on your own, you're going to go to a place called hell where you will endure the wrath of God for all eternity. But all of these promises can be yours today if you place your faith and trust in Jesus. You have to come to Jesus with all of your pain and all that you are, and you have to come all in and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've made a mess of all of this, but I need your help to come and save me, and I give you control of my life. You do that, and all of these promises become yours in an instant. But here's the greatest and biggest challenge. It's hard for us in our pride. It's hard for us in our humanity to receive this free gift. Oh, we want to be the ones that are the gift givers, right? But, but I don't need any help from nobody. I don't need anybody. And that's the mentality that sends you straight to hell. When you say, I don't need anybody, I got everything under control. No, you don't. You're in desperate need. And right now, before you, is standing this invitation where Jesus is saying, I did this for you because I loved you. All you got to do is receive the gift. Don't let your pride get in your way. Don't let your self-sufficient, self-glorifying heart get in the way from receiving this precious gift. If God is for us, who can be against us? Three application points. Let these truths that we've heard today lead us to worship. Let these truths lead us to worship. Every one of us in here today right now is worshiping something. Right? We've set our affections on something. And that's, that's what we call worship. When you set your affections on something, you worship it. You give it your heart. You give it your mind. You give it your time. You give it your all. And man, maybe I think so many of us are guilty of worshiping other things than Jesus Christ himself. But based on these truths, nothing can separate us from the love of God. No one can condemn us, and God is for us. Let those truths rest in our hearts today so that it leads us to worship. We say, Jesus, you are worthy. Thank you. Second application point. Let these truths lift us from our discouragement. I don't know what kind of discouragement you have today. Maybe you're discouraged because you're still single. Maybe you're discouraged because you're still trying to have that child. Maybe you're discouraged because things at work are horrible. Maybe you're discouraged because you're looking at, at your kids and they're, they've gone wayward. And you're just discouraged. Let the truths of God be your encouragement today. These truths are telling you that God is on your side. God is fighting this battle before you. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. So instead of being discouraged, lift your head to your Savior. 
and be encouraged. Third point of action. I want to say just a few comments about this. Let these truths embolden you for mission. God's desire is not just to save you. God's desire is that all men come to a saving knowledge of the truth. And how are men going, men and women and children gonna come to the saving knowledge of the truth? It's only when they hear the truth. If they're not hearing the truth, they cannot respond to the truth. And guess who are the truth tellers? Who are the truth sharers? It's you and me. Oh yeah, God could use the rocks to cry out. God could use the rocks to cry out so that people can know the truth. But he hasn't given that privilege to the rocks. He's given that privilege to you and to I. And because we know that we are emboldened for the mission because God is with us, nothing can separate us. There's no weapon against you that can prosper. There's no life, no death, no nothing. We should be the most bold people in the world because we share and we hold the greatest message that has ever been told. It is the message that this world needs to hear. And all too often we sit in our silence. We sit in our silence because we're afraid. What if I say something and they, they say they don't like me? What if they yell at me? Who cares? God loved you in your rebellion. You've got to allow that love of God to move you to love those that hate you. And this is a season in history where history is going to judge the church. History is going to judge you and to judge me for how we cared for the gospel that was entrusted to us. Our world doesn't need another political leader. Our world doesn't need another political party. Our world doesn't need more money. Our world doesn't need more oil or fossil fuels or more clean energy. Our world doesn't need any of that. What the world needs is the world needs Jesus. That's all the world needs. And though the world is distracted by all of this other stuff that doesn't do anything for anybody, you and I know the truth. And so let us not go quietly into the darkness, but let us stand before those that hate us and let us love them with a love that is perfect. Let us love them. I know it's hard to love those that you disagree with or that disagree with you. But may the love of Christ compel us to live bold lives on mission for God. Don't be silent. Don't tell people what you think. Don't tell people what you feel. Tell people about Jesus. And they will hate you. They will persecute you. They will distance themselves from you. Your neighbors and your loved ones will turn their back on you. But so be it. Because some will hear. Some will turn. And you will be the voice of God snatching people from the gates of hell. Let us be known for that. God is for you. No one can be against you. I want to encourage you. You know, for some reason, and I'm going to end with this, for some reason during times like Christmas and Easter, people are more open to spiritual things. Like that's God's work in the world. We should be a part of that. I want to encourage you during this Christmas season to begin just saying, okay, God, I'm scared. 
but I want to be obedient. I want to be obedient. I want to tell those around about your love. One of the easiest things that you can do is invite them to church. Because I'll tell you what, every time, every week, they're going to come in here and they will hear that God loves them. They're going to hear that they're a sinner. And that they're going to hear that they're in need of salvation. And they're going to hear that Jesus has made a way for them to be saved. I guarantee you, every single week, people are going to hear the gospel in this place. So why not invite them here? This is what you do. You invite them to church, and then you take them to lunch after that. And if you don't have money to take people to lunch, you let me know, and I'll make sure that we give you money to take them to lunch. And while at lunch, you just ask them a simple question. What did you think about worship today? And they may talk about the singing, and they may talk about that. Then you move in, and you say, what do you think about the message? What do you think about the word of God? Did it challenge you? And then just allow that to begin to open up a conversation. We, we want to help you be prepared for that. And so what we've done is uh, in the lobby, you have these two invitations. One is small and one is a little bit bigger. So if you want to be like bold and in your face or if you want to be like quiet and subdued, that, that, that's the two differences, right? You can pick up some of these. And what I encourage you to do is use these as um, invitations. This one's on this side, it talks about Christmas Eve, our Christmas Eve service. It'll be at Woodside, it's at three and five. And then on the back side, both of them talk about the new sermon series that we're jumping into next week. This is going to be an amazing sermon series for you to invite your friends to or those that don't know Jesus. We're going to look at the birth of Jesus from the different eyewitness accounts. Those that were there, what they saw, what they felt, and what they begin to understand of what makes Jesus so special. So I wanna encourage you to be a part of that. Maybe you're, you're a woman and you wanna invite your friends to church and maybe they're not ready for church. Well, we do have the ornament exchange that is on December 11th. There's information out there in the lobby. Invite them there. I'll tell you again, they're gonna hear the gospel when they come. But let us not be silent. Let us continue to walk boldly as we go through the life that God has given us until he returns. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. And I pray now, God, that you'd help us now to respond how we're supposed to respond, how you desire for us to respond to the words that we've heard today. Father, I thank you for these blessed promises. God, that you're for us. You're for us. Father, that we're no longer condemned. There is no sentence of guiltiness against us, but that that was all paid for in Jesus. And Father, we thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. So Father, as we move from this place in this time, may we respond in worship. May we respond by looking to you during our times of discouragement. Father, may we live bold lives on mission for you. Father, these things we ask. And we pray that you do according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.